0: We all have big dreams, but far too often, we never give them a chance to come true. Well, that all changes today. Welcome to Just Keep Learning, where we'll help you develop the right mindset, be more productive, and learn more effectively so you can accomplish anything. Here's your host, Justin at Just Tries. Our guest today is an incredibly successful and humble entrepreneur. She's been the CEO of a number of startups and most recently built a team for her own business, Gutsy Creatives, where she provides courses and mentorship for artists, writers, and speakers. With a deep understanding of audience building and monetization for the artsy and creative among us, she's helped many people succeed in connection with their passions so that they can live life on their own terms. Please welcome Kelsey Nelson. First off, thank you so much for doing this. I'm really excited for this interview. I've followed your content for a little while now. And so many of the things that you share are things that really light me up, I guess, to use a term. If I were to ask you, though, to introduce yourself, let's say you were coming in to talk to an entrepreneurship class I was teaching in college. Who are you and kind of what do you do?
1: I am Kelsey Nelson. I help creative entrepreneurs build the lives they want to live really excited to be on. I also love the stuff that you put on your socials. So this is really exciting for me. At my company, Gutsy Creatives, my team partners with authors to publish top quality books and to build sustainable, meaningful audiences that help the authors achieve their income and their impact goals. And also as a business strategy consultant, I help startups and companies clarify their offerings, raise funding and launch remarkable products
0: clearly you know your stuff in terms of being able to make that elevator pitch type thing <laughs> which is a good lesson in and of itself the term that you used creative entrepreneurs that's one that really stood out to me in terms of you know always seeing your work and seeing that term yeah. what does that term mean to you beyond entrepreneur
1: many things uh For one, I really live between a few different worlds, as many people do now. One, I really love the startup and the tech world, but my first passion is writing and art. And uh, I have a huge community of authors and artists, and I found that so many, as I call them, creative entrepreneurs, people who make music, who write books, who paint paintings, who take pictures, they often have a really difficult time finding a very comfortable way to create a business that provides value, where they get to create art. I hate the starving artist thing. I think that's ridiculous. Well, there's no reason that our artists should be, we shouldn't have starving artists. So for me, a creative entrepreneur on one hand is an artist who would really like to not starve. But then it's not just that, because when I work with Companies that, like most recently, one of my clients, they're building a mobile app that helps people quit smoking. They're not artists in any traditional sense of the word, but they are doing something different, creating something. They want to make an impact on people's lives. They'd never done this before, so they had to come at it in a whole different way. And it's not doing business as usual. It's just the same as when you have to, as an author, build an audience or as a musician, build an audience. They had to build an audience, build a fan base. How are they going to reach people? They have a message. They have to get it out. Uh, They're going to have to find unique ways to market and to make sure that what they're creating is of top quality. For me, a creative entrepreneur is just someone who is creating something and wants to make an impact on the world.
0: One of the reasons why I know that your content speaks so much to me and even your business and business models for that matter is something you just referenced the starving artist in an exit meeting during our school year. uh, Just before COVID, I said to my principal when she had asked, well, what do you want to do in terms of your own professional journey and growth here? And I said, I don't want to offend you, but my plan is to in one of these years soon, jump ship for at least a year and do the starving artist thing and see where I can take it. Mm -hmm. So I was saying that I wouldn't say as a good way, but in the sense that like knowing, being able to fully focus on it with the goal of not starving was going to be mm-hmm. the goal. That got derailed uh, like COVID and some different things and pandemic, as well as life circumstances for now, that still is the plan to do that essentially full time, right? And so I think that that's one of those things that as you put it, and as you know, with all the clients you've worked with and audience you've spoken to, so many people have that mindset, right? I want mm-hmm. to paint i want to write a book i want to start a podcast oh but that can never actually be a business beyond a side hustle so i need to keep my job and i struggle with that kind of back and forth i suppose when it comes to that idea of like side hustling or trying to pivot away when you already have bills maybe you have a couple young ones or something what's advice that you tend to give people that come to you with that problem
1: That's a big question. I have a lot of advice. You know, the first one is it is entirely possible to build a life around your art that does not compromise your art and that does not make you suffer materially. I'm not saying you're going to be super rich, but you should be able to be comfortable with what you do. That doesn't mean that everything you do is going to be exactly what you want and of, you know, some strange niche artistic vision that you have. If there's no audience for that, you're going to have to come up with some other stuff too to support it. But the, the first thing is that a lot of us buy into this idea that it's an either or, that you really have to go to a job and you have to work a certain amount of hours and you have to hustle, hustle, hustle in the side uh, if you want to do something that you actually enjoy or that something that is your direction. And then maybe you have to like take A sabbatical or quit or be poor for a while in order to focus on you know your writing or your painting or your music or whatever. And we've set that up as a as a false choice. There's so many other ways to live and to make a living and to create and to share. The the first thing is just to accept that. There's more models for how to live than the standard ones that we're given. And then the next one, the next advice is you also have to open up your mind to what creating or living off of your art means to you. So for example, for an author, let's say they're writing poetry, which is one of the hardest things to sell or to make a living off of. Funny little thing, I uh, one of my Writing teachers from when I was in college was Bill Ransom, who's an amazing author. And uh, he was shortlisted uh, for the Pulitzer Prize in poetry. And he also co wrote some of the Dune books. One day in class, he brought us in his check for his royalties from his poetry book. It was like $1.35, right? And he said, co writing, ghostwriting some of the Dune books brought him way more money than his poetry ever would. But You know, Bill had a wonderful life as a writer. He uh, was a teacher at a really strange, wonderful college, Evergreen. That's my college, where you could have courses down by the lake and, you know, do poetry readings around a campfire. He also got to work with a lot of other writers like Frank Herbert, and he still got to publish his own work and do his own poetry and do those things. And so when you can expand the idea of what you do to not just being i'm just going to create this but it's creating a life around it you know what can you teach what can you what can you put out that supports this or what is adjacent and then suddenly there's all kinds of opportunities that start opening up the other thing is that a lot of people start really small they think that Well, for one, it's often a confidence thing that if you're not a huge artist or if you're not already have a lot of fame or a lot of authority, then you should be thankful for your book getting 99 cents or you should be thankful for this class, this online class that you created. Someone bought it for $29.99. Awesome. Well, this is the hardest way to build your business because if you are going to support yourself on those small purchase prices, that means you need thousands and thousands of people that are buying your product. And the scary jump that I always try to get my clients and the people that I work with to think about is to actually flip their model. Kind of think of it as a Hershey kiss. This came from Elon Musk. If you imagine, you know, the triangle, the Hershey kiss, and at the high level is your really high value products. The cost is really high for these things. The price point could be thousands and thousands of dollars, but the thing is, is that you only need a few customers at that level in order to then support the next level and then the bottom level. And the bottom level is often where many people start and they think that, you know, that's that's the way it goes, but you're actually going to reach success a lot faster and even reach more people faster if you can start with those few high quality, high value customers or products first, and then use the funding from that to do what you really want for the masses or for the people. or to reach your vision.
0: I can relate so much for, again, many reasons as well. One being that at the bottom of my Hershey's Kiss is this idea of a podcast to try and share it with as many people because I bought up against that that you're talking about in terms of my sort of value system of like education being free, you know, Khan Academy, YouTube, podcasting versus monetizing and and then figuring out eventually, well, what can be at the top of that Hershey's Kiss Mm -hmm. to be able to have this podcast reach more people with revenue, you can put ad dollars, you can start marketing, start doing collaborations, etc, and mm-hmm. be able to reach more people. So I certainly relate there. The other thing is that I I don't often expect people have listened to episodes of the show per se when they come on. But I do know you shared the Sister Helen Preja episode, oh, which yes. I really very much appreciate. Thank you. But what I was thinking of was one of the things that she and I were talking about, probably both online and, and offline was the fact that we've both worked with a lot of people in jail. And the idea that they have so much creative entrepreneurship, almost every single one of them that I've ever met, and and she opened up about very similar uh, thoughts. But again, nobody's there to kind of show them, well, how do you get started in this? So they either go get a job or they end up back making money through the crimes that landed them there in the first place. And they certainly feel stuck, like you were saying, the either-or kind of mentality. So that means a lot to hear you sharing that and talking about how people could kind of start taking those Uh steps. I'm sure we'll go into plenty of things about business, but one thing first that you brought up was uh, the college that you went to. In terms of your own educational journey, obviously learning is a big part of this show, what was school like for you, be it kindergarten or college or whatever Like, did you enjoy school?
1: Hmm. Well, sometimes, yes. Sometimes I absolutely love school. And sometimes I think that school is the stupidest, most ridiculous institution that we have ever created. It really depends on the person and the program. I am a huge proponent of education. I want everyone to go to college just because... It can be awesome. And it's a great time to focus on something you care about. I hope everyone gets that privilege. Not that I think that it'll prepare you for a job per se. However, personally, school in some ways was really easy. I'm very logical. I can learn things really quickly. However, I also have very powerful ADD, so I can learn something super quick um, and ace a test. But then, if you ask me next week what I just learned. I don't know. I don't know. And I cannot do homework and I cannot play the games and I cannot waste time. And so much of, especially, you know, before you hit college is so much wasted time and time studying things that you don't really need to study or studying them in a terrible way. And I think that our education system really gets in the way of our education quite a lot. For me, when I got to college, it was a very different experience. And I, I jumped in and out of colleges. One thing I really would hope that people that are listening can get is that any experience that you have or any education that you have, all of these are valuable Out of high school, I didn't even bother trying to apply to, you know, a real college, as I called it. I had okay grades and I was, you know, I was the editor of our school paper and I was president of debate, but I couldn't do homework, right? So I wasn't going to play that game. I thought I love design. This is different. So I'll go to community college and I'll learn graphic design. Uh, that was great until I learned that while I love graphic design, I hate creating things, artistic things, on someone else's direction. That really ruined it for me. However, even though I didn't go on to a career in design, Because of the skills that I learned in graphic design, that became a superpower in everything else that I did, because then I understood presentation and how to present information and how to make things look professional and appealing and emotionally compelling. And so any experience, anything that you learn that might be a skill, just a basic skill in one industry can then become a superpower in another industry. So after I did graphic design for a couple of years, I was like, okay, no, this isn't... I don't want to go work at a desk. I can't handle it. And I ended up joining AmeriCorps, kind of like Peace Corps, but it's in the U.S. And I did some of the same things you did, Justin, where... I worked at a school, is what they called it, but it was a jail for, as they said, emotionally and behaviorally disturbed teenage girls, which is a very funny phrase also. And I think we're all emotionally and behaviorally disturbed at times, but that... Experience was really great and helped me understand, helped me see outside of myself and outside of my world. And we also got to do things like environmental projects and, you know, chainsawing trees that weren't supposed to be there. Really extraordinary experiences that I didn't really know what was going to happen going into it. Traveled around, went to New Orleans because I wanted to be a writer and I thought New Orleans would be a cool place to be one. But I didn't go back to school until I got pregnant and I was. Pregnant at 22 and unmarried and not going to end up being, you know, at that point, I think I switched to wanting to be a photojournalist and for National Geographic and travel the world or something. But so I realized that what I, what I really, really wanted to do was be a writer. And once I was pregnant, I realized if I would like my daughter to follow her dreams, then I better own up, be brave enough to admit what mine are and just go go for it. My mom was one of those incredible selfless people who sacrificed so much. She was a computer programmer. She worked all the time. She supported me through all my madness, but she sacrificed so much of her own dreams. And I never wanted her to do that. Like I wish I'm okay, you know, occasionally living in the camper if we had to or whatever. You know, I wish that she, she felt freer to follow her own dreams. And I felt, such guilt when I was doing something weird, when I wasn't becoming a computer programmer for the state. And I realized I didn't want to pass that guilt down to my daughter. And so the only way that I was going to be able to communicate that authentically was that if I actually did it for myself. So that's when I went to Evergreen and I studied writing and art activism. And you would think what a ridiculous set of things to study, but again, art activism taught me how to decode messages in the media, how we influence people, how we build authority. And the funny thing is all of that made me very good at business <laughs> and very good at marketing because I understood. How all these things impact everybody. So even though my education was very odd, and I've also done some grad school, I've done all kinds of things, even the things that I didn't complete, even the things that I tried and then decided that it wasn't for me, all of those I cherish, and they are so valuable. And I'm so grateful. I'm grateful for flunking out of, well, I didn't flunk out, but I quit at the very end. I'm so grateful for quitting out of graphic design. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful that I didn't study computer science all, you know, a whole bunch. And And so even these things that don't work out, they all become building blocks for the person that you are becoming and your skill set.
0: I had to laugh there when you said marketing, because I didn't want to cut you off, but I was about to say, so you learned marketing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This is one of the most difficult interviews I've done, and it's not a bad thing. It's for good reason. But as you create these responses and you're reflecting and bringing up different topics, I have like five different thoughts at the same time yeah. that I'm very much connecting with, whether it's not being able to remember much, but still ace an exam and be the straight A student who actually doesn't really want to be there because this traditional journey is not where I want to be, but I followed it for a bit. The generational things, one of our schools is with young between 12 and 24 parenting moms and so many different connections. One of the biggest ones being the idea of transferable skills. And so a lot of what I do in the educational world is trying to get kids connected to their passions. It could be working as a mechanic, really doesn't matter what the heck it is. But instead of worrying about, okay, you learned this about a car, what are the things you're learning that no matter where you go, you're going to take with you and they will help you thrive in the future. And you may not even notice that that's why, because you learned them there. So just so many different directions we could take things, but I'm really interested. You mentioned mom and uh, her dreams. Do you know dreams that she had? You bring up the guilt you have, but are you aware of things that she would have done?
1: Oh, somewhat. But, you know, we're one of those families where, you know, you don't talk about things like that so much. There's there's a lot of unspoken. Mm-hmm. But my mother, my brilliant mom was a computer programmer, but she also played piano and she played guitar and she was a cowgirl and we went camping every other weekend. And uh, she was also the oldest of five siblings. So she had that, you know, responsibility thing that older siblings have that I don't because I'm not an older sibling. I was lucky in that way. You know, I know that she wanted to travel more. I know that she wanted to read more. I know that she wanted to keep creating music, but I think for her, those things felt indulgent and something that was almost too pleasurable. And if you get too much pleasure from it, it couldn't be work. Yeah. Which is a little bit, well, no, it's very sad. It's horribly sad. And my, my mom retired as early as she possibly could. She's retired now. And because she was a computer programmer for the state. You know, she did okay with her retirement and she lives fairly simply and she reads a lot of books, but you know, she burnt out. She burnt out early. I think that we all missed out because she was such an interesting person with such an interesting background and so tough and so smart that, ah, you know, what did we miss? I'll never know.
0: Yeah. You'd love to have seen it shared in a different way and then find out. And so along those lines, so many connections and and, uh, things that you and I have in common, a lot of what I do as well and why I'm working so hard and able to have that sort of big why is because it's just about passing it on to my daughters, you know, and heaven forbid something happens to me. Well, that's why I created that 10 piece Instagram carousel about chasing your dreams, because maybe they'll check it out and uh, leaving these little tidbits behind to share those Uh life lessons. Do you know on the other side, things that your daughter wants to pursue? Or is she pursuing things that she wants?
1: Yes. My daughter is now 20. She is an incredible artist. She, oh gosh, I learned so much from my daughter. She draws incredibly well and she's really good at tech too. So I was telling her how this is a superpower because she has great artistic vision, but also really good technical skills. And if you're able to have both sides of the brain work that well, then, you know, I thought she would get into game design or character design or I didn't know. I was, but I was thrilled because I thought, you know, she was very well positioned for for whatever kind of success that I could vi- envision for her. And, you know, one of the things she taught me when she was young, like 12 or so, is I would say things to her like, wow, you can draw so well. I could never draw that well. And she said, you know, it makes me really angry when people say that. She said, you know, I I watch YouTube videos, I practice, I drew this hand 40 times. I spend an hour every day drawing at least. And she said, anyone could draw this well if you just kept doing it. That was that was a lesson that you know even as an adult I still struggle with where if I'm not instantly good at it I will often discard it and it really takes a lot of courage to stick with something when you're not good at it especially when you know you're not good at it in the beginning and so that was one big thing my my daughter taught me and then the other thing is that as she got older And she saw me, you know, running around and doing all kinds of business. And I've got more stories about her and I. But she realized that she didn't really want to be an entrepreneur in the way that I was because she saw how hard I worked. And sometimes things are great and sometimes things are down. She got into retail. She tried a few different things. And then recently she got into caregiving, kind of like nursing, where now she works. She's not a nurse, but she works as a caregiver for uh, adults with developmental Delays and she helps them live their life. She works at their house and does all kinds of stuff. And she loves it. And she said, you know, this was not something she would have ever imagined for herself. She never thought of nursing. That wasn't, I showed her many, many worlds. That was never one of the worlds that I showed her. And it looks like labor to me. And she sure does a lot of hard stuff, like helping people shower and helping them use the bathroom and, you know, helping them eat and dealing with grown men that throw tantrums, things that I think are very difficult. And she turns out to be very good at it and finds it really rewarding and now is interested in pursuing that. You know, she thought about college. She has taken some college. She's done some college. But you know, she says this, I want to go this way. I want to get more certifications this way. I want to keep doing this. And I think she is on such a great path I could care less if she ever got a formal degree or went to college. Thrilled that she found something that she loves and that is fulfilling for her. I know my daughter, she's interested in a lot of things and she's very bright and curious. I wouldn't be surprised if in three to five years something else is very interesting and compelling to her and she goes in a different direction. And I would say, awesome, go in that direction now. Let's see what you can do.
0: And I think that's the main thing that you created for her, which is amazing because that is the most important thing is just empowering people to do what they do want. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that I so often, because we're out here, you know, creating the 40 second video to post to Twitter or whatever, and people see certain parts of our character. I know someone who's as big as like a Gary Vee would get this all the time. You you only know a very small part of someone when their overall message is if you were to interview them for, you know, an hour or three or hang out with them for a week, you would learn a lot more. Mm-hmm. And so the one thing I get is like this, very similar to what your daughter brought up about, oh, well, easy for you to create a video. I'm like, have you seen the first time that I made a video? Uh, or like, oh yeah, you're good at painting because I'm not artistic. It's like, yeah, but you didn't see the first hundred crappy paintings. right? The classic one is, uh, oh, your camera works really well. It's like, yeah, well, it didn't the first thousand times. And so much of that. One of my favorite stories with that, and you know, certainly a dream interview would be to interview Ed Sheeran. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen this clip, There's a few clips of it, but he carries around on his phone audio from when he started singing, and it sounds like somebody's just trying their best to be the worst singer in the shower or the car ever. And it's him actually trying to start his singing career. And he's like, I pull that out every single time that someone tells me, you know, oh, I wish I could sing like you. And he's like, Well, you're just gonna make your thousand shitty songs first, and then boom, it's it's kind of game over. So that that's really um wise that your daughter was sharing that. I don't know if it was at 12 or 16 or 20 or what. Either way, it's really neat because that's the key, isn't it? You know, just being able to be that lifelong learner.
1: Definitely. And you know, I think about the young people that you work with in the jails and maybe those teen parents and it might feel to them that their situation at the moment is like a, a down or a negative or a subtraction from what they could be doing or what they should be doing or what everybody else is doing, maybe. They're they're behind. Not only are they not doing what they wanted to do, but they're getting they're falling behind. I understand why how it can feel that way. I've certainly felt that way, but where they are is also very unique. And it's going to give them perspectives that later on in life or on other projects that they do, other people don't have. And I think about them and I think about, you know, you just, you don't know yet what is going to be valuable from this time. And the best thing that they can do is to be open to where they are. Like, even if it sucks, like if you're in jail, well, what a great opportunity to learn about, you know, human behavior and power and intimidation and how do people use it? Authority and how do people present authority? And you know, to look at the people that even are in that environment and just seem to be thriving. And like, look at why, like, why are those people thriving? And like, if you're a young mom, it's, well, you know, you become incredibly resourceful. You start to know things about time management and you also start to learn things about the limits of the human body, especially when you have like toddlers. Like I can't, you know, it's funny, but in meetings with high level executives, I want to make sure that everybody has had a snack and that, you know, we didn't stay up all night, go home, go home, go to bed. Let's, you know, have our strategy in the morning. And if you've ever had young kids, you really, you know, everything's kind of exaggerated. And so when you're working with adults, if you can keep those things in mind, you start to do really well. So after I graduated from college, which I sped through, because I had a great opportunity to go teach English in Japan. And I taught English for three years at a boys school. And the thing that I didn't know that this would, was when I became a really real Entrepreneur, and I went through a startup incubator. I raised money. Uh, in Silicon Valley, I had to present a lot and I had to stand up on a stage in front of people and I had to have confidence and I had to keep their attention. And it's funny because the other people like in my startup incubator would get really nervous uh, whenever they had to go on a stage and all their brilliant ideas would kind of come mumbled out or rushed out, or they would just present it in a really straightforward, dry way. My teaching gave me a superpower because there is nothing more terrifying than having to stand up in front of 13 year old boys every single day. You know, I had 180 students. It was like class after class after class. And I was like, oh, if I could, you know, stand up and do that for three years straight, I can stand on this stage and keep these people, attend, keep the attention of the people here. And I knew that it wasn't just you know, the quality of my ideas, but it was also how I presented it. And I better find a way to connect with them emotionally to either make it fun or scary or, you know, something. It's hilarious, but from Founder Institute, I did a national pitch competition, you know, nationwide, multiple rounds. Some of the rounds were on YouTube and then some of them were with private investors and it kept narrowing down, narrowing down. And I got on a stage with the final eight people in Silicon Valley in front of you know, 500 investors. I didn't win that one, but I came in third. And all of that truly is because I spent those years teaching those 13 year old boys. So wherever, wherever you are, there's something there. If you can be open to it and if you can look around and absorb what you can from that experience, that is going to be a superpower somewhere else where other people didn't have that experience.
0: I love that. I think we continue to add those things to our tool belt, so to speak, right? Uh Different skills and abilities, like we're all these kind of superheroes, action heroes in our own movies, and we're continuing to add those things on. Sometimes we notice it, sometimes we don't. Certainly I have the teaching one as well, so I could relate. And again, I'm smiling knowing that we have so much in common and I've been a principal and you know some other jobs and things. One of the big ones for me that way that is so rare, I guess, but that kind of a lot of people can't relate with is playing tackle football, American football in college. Uh Uh It's I would never want my kids to do whatever you know i mean catching a football on a punt return or a kick return when 11 people who have been training their entire life just to try and take your head off or, or and they're fast and big and strong are hunting you down in front of a crowd and getting to that to having that become normal on a friday night ever since then there hasn't been a lot where it's been hard to lean into just being somewhat courageous or brave, you know? Right. And of course, things are different because that was the sort of like skill set and wheelhouse that I was in in high school. So, you know, there's maybe a comfort level. Yeah. But whether it's trying to write a blog post or go do an interview or be interviewed on a podcast, it's like when I actually think about it, it's so easy to look back and be like, no, those were actually <laughs> scary times. This is uh, I've been pretty safe here and we're, we're in good shape, you know? Uh-huh. So you listed a couple of the units that that I work in, um, not that you'll give an example for each of them, those examples were amazing for each of them, uh, but just to give a little bit more context, like we have 17 units, we have uh, boys and girls live in facility for addictions, all of our units are of uh, 14 to 21 year olds, traditional hospital for illness, oncology, um, within that there's eating disorders, as well as a school for uh, mental illness, and then we have a uh, psychiatric Facility for mental illness, a couple other live in facilities for people who are struggling more with like homicidal, suicidal thoughts and self harm, and then the, the teen moms and teen parents, and then the jails. I think that's essentially it. So, what you're saying about those things being empowering is incredible to me because we adopted our oldest. She was two at the time. And I remember the adoption worker, it took me a little while to catch on, but what she was essentially concerned with or interviewing me about was my professional and educational expertise and how much there was on paper, right? And she's like, well, you have a master's though. What if Chloe, because of her uh, high needs, never grows into a kid that can like do well in school? And once I realized what she was asking, I was like, well, you don't know me as a person. I was like, I don't care what the heck she does. Yeah, yeah. I want her to feel empowered to do whatever she wants to do. And in that way, it's so different, you know? But they had the mindset that because I had that background that I would want to push her to do similar things. And to me, I've always felt, because our other isn't adopted, and of course you would never compare your children, oh, this one's going to be better because of this or worse because of this, whatever. Point is, I feel that Chloe has a huge asset that she could use because of her background with trauma, because of her growing up on the streets and the, these things that a lot of kids <laughs> don't have an opportunity to go try that out and have it become a power for them. And so I love how you're you're saying that idea of being able to use the those things as positives with the right perspective, you know?
1: Yeah. And that also helps with, you know, one of the the big things that is kind of my overall goals in life is to help eliminate that whole concept of the them, you know, or the other that we really villainize or we, you know, group people or we say, you know, the people over there, the people of that religion or the people of this country or addicts or whatever, them. It's really damaging to all of us from that direction. But also when we we do this to... (laughs) We can be the them could be, oh, the people that have more education than us or the people that have more skills than us. And when someone has gone through trauma or they've gone through addiction or they've they've gone through something that other people might immediately have their judgments on, that person actually has seen behind the curtain and they know that all those things that people say about, well, if they were an addict, then they were also this, this and this and this. And they're like, well, that's not true. You know, it can be true, but generally we're all very different in our circumstances. So she'll already have that. She'll already know that that's that's crap, actually. Uh, It'll be harder for people to get her to them, to otherize other people. But then hopefully, and this is something that I think doesn't happen sometimes, is that she can turn that around also. And every time she sees people in situations that might seem easier or better or more privileged, to also remember, again, there is no them. There's only us. So even though those people might be in a situation that grants them a lot more resources it's still people and if she had been in that situation she would have the same capabilities and range that they would you know that helps us realize that that things are possible and that we're not we're not limited in our social class and we're not limited by our I don't even know what the word is, diagnosis or whatever diagnosis is, Diagnosis that we have. We are really one, one big community, one big family, one big village. And when we start seeing that, we see then what is possible for other people is also possible for us.
0: Yeah. Any classifications, I suppose. And that's one of the things that excites me about this sort of like web three buzzword and, and NFTs and the idea that with anonymity and our identities coming together in this metaverse, which, you know, really at the actual like development of it, maybe, we or, you know, who knows, three, five, 10 years away or whatever, either way, it's something that's coming and there's so much uh, negativity around it. And I get it. And there's a lot of uh, scams and, and spam. However, it will be a big changing thing. And that's one of the things I find really interesting because I've kind of dipped my toe in that and it just happened yesterday you know like had I just gone to like my default thought process I would have thought that this person was male and living somewhere in the U.S. and all of a sudden I find they're a female living in Italy <laughs> and it's like ah, oh, that's neat because we're using these anonymous PFPs half the time and there's a lot of things to that that I think are really neat could be positives about bringing people together just you know even being able to do an interview like this mm-hmm. or start a business with someone like someone reached out about wanting to start a blog together they had to look up where she She lived, and it was like I don't even remember exactly where it was because it's this idea that we can all really be a big community. Social media is kind of like a a huge part of that. Uh I know that you were saying earlier about creating an audience being such an important thing to help people really build and create, Uh and then hence monetize. So, would you say that that is kind of one of those first steps for these people that want to be able to succeed in the world of creating their art successfully?
1: Yes. And I'm going to be very specific and very practical about this. It's not just about creating an audience of eyeballs on you. It's actually collecting those people's contact information. Say you have a YouTube video and it gets a million views. Great. What happens next week? You know, when that video isn't going anywhere, what are you going to do with those eyeballs? A really popular article a lot of people have read is the whole Kevin Kelly's 1,000 true fans. That if you have a 1,000 true fans, fans that you can support any kind of creative life. And a true fan is someone who not just, you know, is aware of you or likes something, but watches you and looks for your new thing and doesn't just buy your one album, but they buy all your albums and they watch the video and they can't wait to take your masterclass or whatever it is that you're doing. But even before you have true fans, you can start collecting emails and it sounds so trite and it sounds so markety. I hate it. However, you know, the email list that I've built over the years has empowered me to live wherever I want and to do Frankly, whatever. Well, maybe not whatever I want, but a wide range of very dramatic things, because that is something that can never be taken away from you. Like if I put out a book on Amazon and someone buys it, great. That's not my customer. That's Amazon's customer. I have no way to talk to that person. I have no way to keep in touch with them. I'm going to have to earn them all over again. So much work. So when a young person comes out and they start, like, let's do music. They're starting to put out their music and they sell it to their friends. Awesome. And they get it on SoundCloud and they're getting all these downloads. Great. And, uh, you know, they start having some success. Maybe they have a Patron or something, all of those little things, but they're going to have to keep building from scratch over and over and over again. Even though they're gaining audience, it's just pouring through a, you know, a bucket with holes. Uh, and if you can collect their email addresses, then you get to take those people with you and you get to maintain that relationship and you get to make the effort of staying in touch rather than expecting them to think of you and imagine you out of all the other things happening in the universe. And the easiest way to do that is to have a website preferably in your name. And the reason I say that, especially when you're young, is that you might change projects. You might change companies. You might change who knows. But if you can get your name or something similar to your name, grab it and then offer something for free. I'm talking about Kevin Kelly. I've got all these other resources that I would love to share with your audience. I'm putting all of these resources on gutsycreatives.com learning. So when you're listening, if you want to read the Kevin Kelly fan, article. I've also got a really great Free course that I took—it's not mine; it's someone else's—called Learning to Learn, which I recommend everyone takes. I'll put the link on there. But when you come to gutsycreatives.com/learning, I will ask you for your email. You'll give your email, and then you'll get to the page, and there'll be all the resources. You know, people can immediately opt out. We make it very easy to unsubscribe. You don't want to force people to stay on your list. That's great. But people that are interested in these kinds of things might be interested in some of my other projects, and maybe they aren't a potential client right now or a customer right now, but maybe five years down the road, they could be. And if they've been kind of following me, then you know I still have contact with them. And when they're ready for what I offer, I don't have to go find them and get them to notice me again. We've already are in contact. Because of the email list that I built, And I've focused it mostly on authors and entrepreneurs, although I also write. So I also have some literary folks mixed in there. So that's a little confusing sometimes. But with my email list, I've used that to seed different businesses that kind of built off each other. I never had to start from scratch again. Uh, when my daughter was 14, uh, I realized how fast she was growing and that I was, she was going to be out of here in no time. I really wanted us to spend more time and travel the world, all that kind of crazy stuff. So we did took her out of school. She was doing online school before the pandemic. Because I had my email list, because I could use the web to offer either uh, freelance work or I did a lot of courses or I did consulting, that kind of stuff, because I could stay in contact with all of these people, I used that as my income generator. And we spent years traveling. Uh, I didn't have to have a regular job. So, you know, all the folks that are just starting out, start with those emails, get those emails, because the sooner you start collecting them, it'll grow, it'll grow, it'll grow. And just, oh, my watch is talking to me. And uh, even if you only <laughs> even if you only have 20 in the beginning, great, those are your first 20. Then later you'll have 50, then you'll have 100. Wonderful. And then when you have the ability to really focus on growing it, doing different kinds of exchanges, there's all kinds of ways to build it. It'll just become more and more valuable. So it seems like a silly thing, email marketing, but truly, if you wanna be an entrepreneur with your own power and your ability to reach people directly, if you wanna be an artist, To reach people directly, there's no better way than email. And I will also say, I have a huge Twitter following. I love the Twitter. But that's worthless. I mean, the only reason that my Twitter is fabulous, oh, it does give me some authority. I will say that. And I have met, oh, I met you. <laughs> you know, I have met some people on there. But mostly to get the value out of it, I use Twitter and other social media to share links to resources mm-hmm. or really cool things that people can get for free so that they give me their email address because they're really not my audience until I have their email address.
0: Yeah, that makes complete sense. One of the themes of this show is being able to grab a segment or like a through line and then create a blog post around like with a heading of and I can already tell it this is going to be about you know starting to grow your audience (laughs) just for that for a second the idea of creating on Twitter in terms of being able to create that initial Twitter audience though Mm -hmm. or social audience in general what are some tips or tricks that you would give the person who's starting their Twitter handle tomorrow
1: well back in my day. When Twitter started, it was a lot easier because uh, the way to get followers was to follow people and they would get a notification and they would notice you. So you didn't have to pay for ads. But now Twitter doesn't like it when you follow a lot of people and it doesn't like it when you unfollow people. So the way that I built my list in the beginning or my Twitter isn't so good anymore, frankly. I cannot. I used to teach how to do it and I don't anymore because I don't think it's fair. I don't think it works the same. I hate to say that ads work but you know they do but the other thing that you can do really is opa you know other people's audiences so if you are going to build your following and you're starting from the beginning, the best way to do it for all your social, for your email list, for anything, is to participate in the streams of folks that already have a great audience. So you're going to their audience and hopefully you're getting them to share your account or share your content. And one of the ways to do that is to offer something of value to their audience. If you're going to reverse engineer what I'm doing right now, I am using your audience right now, hopefully to build my email list because people can go to gutsycreatives.com slash learning, give me their email but I'm giving them something great. Like I make sure that whatever I give them, there's free resources, there's something they couldn't get somewhere else, it's useful and I'm not selling anything. I'm just being you know, radically helpful. Hopefully, that's the goal, right? So if you can find a way to be you know, radically helpful uh, for someone else's audience, then they will share your stuff. And maybe they will even you know, interview you or write a blog post on you. Maybe you can interview them and then they share the interview that you did of them. And that's really one of the best ways to grow aside from ads. I don't actually spend any money on ads anymore. I used to and they were effective, but other people's audiences are more effective and I feel less I don't know. Snake. I don't like that. You know, marketing, it is manipulation. I Some people hate when I say that, but it is. So, you know, use your powers for good. Think about what you're putting out there. All art, frankly, is manipulation. You're trying to evoke some kind of a response or some kind of an action. And once you realize that and accept that, then yeah, use it. But use it to create what you want in the world and to be what you want in the world. So be helpful. Offer help or or offer beauty, or offer art, offer entertainment.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people would read a book like Seth Godin's This Is Marketing and be like, this isn't marketing. (laughs) And it's Uh like, no, that's the point. It is because this is how we do things in more of a genuine giving generosity yet because I can monetize afterwards. It's going to end up creating that cycle we spoke about earlier of helping more people. The other thing you you mentioned a minute ago was the idea that there are so many ways to give free things and doing the giveaways. What are the ways in terms of that part of it? of
1: the thing that I recommend is to figure out what you can give that doesn't cost you anything to create or only cost you the initial creation time. So something digital, it can be a PDF, it can be a video, it can be, you know, a guide or a checklist that people download. It could even be simply a list of resources that you've gathered, not resources that you've created. But say someone wants to start a podcast and you want to get people to your blog that also want to start a podcast. You could give away a a PDF that is the top 10, I don't know, podcast software that you've found or the the 10 things you need, 10 tech things that you really need to start your podcast and five things that you really don't. And that's simply putting links together. One thing that we've done at Ketsy Creatives for people that are in our industry that we really admire, even when they are direct competitors, but we still admire them because they've got great shit. We will put on our blog, uh, you know, the top five posts from so-and-so about book marketing and we'll have the title of their post and just like a sentence or two and a link to their website. Mm -hmm. And we're just doing these as blogs, but we could have easily put them as a PDF and then offered them for people, you know, once they sign up. But, you know, something like that's pretty cool because hopefully those people notice uh, and they might want to share our resources as well. But also we're just sending them customers. We're not actually stealing any of their content. We're promoting them. And when you promote other folks, it's just really, raises your own trustworthiness. And it also shows that you're, you know, you're paying attention to what's happening and you're connected to whatever industry it is that you're in. Also, you'll want to get some kind of service that automates this for you because you're not going to get people to sign up and then manually send them an email. So you're going to use something like MailChimp. I use Get response, but that's for when you have some budget. It's not super expensive; it's like mid level. Um, but things like Mailchimp and there's a bunch more. They have free levels too. So if you're under a thousand people on your list, you can use one of these services, and it'll help you create the sign up form. And then you can create, you know, upload your PDF or your song or your video, whatever it is, and then create the email. And they'll walk you through it. All of the stuff you don't need to do any code. Just set it up so that when someone signs up on this form, they get this email with this link. If that's something that you can set up right away, that's the best thing because that'll always be working for you once you get it set up. Then even when you're, you know, sleeping or traveling or doing whatever weird things that you're doing, that's still out there working for you anytime. any time.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's the, one of the keys is leveraging time, right? And building scalability and efficiency, I suppose. A couple other thoughts with respect to that is uh, what about emailing in terms of frequency to send out to your community and then frequency of selling to your community or how you kind of do that?
1: Sure. I have a motto for myself, which is I never... Cross my threshold of for every ask that I make, which is either sign up for my thing or buy my thing or whatever any kind of ask that I make, I make sure that I do three gives. So I give, give, give. Ask. I worked with Guy Kawasaki, who is big in the tech startup world, not so much anymore. Now I'm like the older generation, but um, he was actually one of the advisors on one of my startups, and I worked with him when he was promoting his book Ape about publishing, author, publisher, entrepreneur, Ape, and he he told me that actually he thinks his ratio is 20 to one. Now that's not with email, but that's with any kind of social media, any kind of post, anything he's putting out, give, 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 ask. With your emails, you want to make sure that when people open your emails, there's something in there that is interesting or valuable to them. If you're emailing someone every other day, but Each email has new, interesting, valuable content. Some people are going to super love you. And when they don't have time to open your email or they're overwhelmed, they will ignore it. Um, No big deal. However, that's exhausting to have that much fabulous new content all the freaking time. If that is unobtainable, fine. Uh, (laughs) If you can set up your email automation or your email change so that, say someone signs up for one form. Okay, when someone comes to one of my websites and they sign up for some guide or a checklist or something, I send them that right away. Then in a couple days, I send them another email saying, just make sure here's the link again. Also, here's this extra free thing that you weren't expecting that is also awesome and related to this. Here you go. And then I'll wait a few days, and then there'll be another email that goes out that says, Hey, hope you really liked this and this. And you give them the links again. And Now I've got this other awesome thing for you. Here you go. And then the fourth email will be, really hope you love these things. If you want to work with me or, you know, if you're interested in learning more about this, whatever the promotion is, whatever we have to sell, then I will offer it. And it's crucial that that ask is made. And I work with a lot. Authors hate self-promotion, like as a rule. Anytime that they have to actually make an ask, they just Flip out. They don't want to do it. They would rather promote everyone else's book rather than ask for a sale. Be
0: the starving artist.
1: Yeah. Because if you ask for money, then somehow it demotes your art, which is ridiculous. Or they're in business or they're in marketing, heaven forbid. But the thing is, is that people that enjoyed and got value out of whatever you were giving them, they want that thing that you were offering. They might even really need it. If some of my author's If Chuck Palahniuk emails me and says, buy my new book, I'm like, okay, thanks. Um, You know, yay, you sent me the link. And you know, part of it is that you are making things easy for them, which is why like when I send out the emails, I always include the links and then I include them again and then I include them again. And you just want to make things easy for people. And if you're worried about bothering folks, do not worry about people unsubscribing. Let them unsubscribe. Make unsubscribing very easy easy. And I don't know how many of you have signed up for email list, unsubscribed, and then later resubscribed, and then unsubscribed, and then like later on been like, okay, actually I want this part now and get this. You know, if... If people aren't interested in what you have to offer at the moment, let them go. And then the people who are on your list, give them as much value as you can. And if you can email them once a week, that would be great to be quite honest because you wanna stay in their brains. If you're emailing them once a month because that's all you can handle because of your bandwidth, great. Please email them once a month. If you are emailing them every single day, you better have a really good reason Mm -hmm. and you better be giving them a lot of value. But you know, there's some people that I to to that they do. It feels like email me every freaking day. and I still keep their emails
0: hanging around
1: because sometimes they're incredible. So don't worry about it. Just give value.
0: Yeah, no one size fits all give more value than you take for sure. I think those are amazing strategies that will help lots of people. I know we're heading towards wrapping here, but I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about gutsy specifically. I guess let's just start with the name. Was there (laughs) other options or how did gutsy creatives come to be?
1: I've learned a hard lesson of pigeonholing myself and I love working with authors, but I've also worked with a lot of other kinds of creative people as well. So when it was time to create this business, instead of doing something just for authors, although we do focus primarily on authors right now, went with creatives and gutsy. I mean, you've got to be gutsy to live a life of your own choosing and to put your art in the world and to create and to enter the arena, you know? So gutsy creatives, the people that are drawn to me are people that are looking to take a chance to take a risk and get a great return
0: in terms of anything that you think maybe we might have left out around entrepreneurship or business or again even if there's more things about gutsy creatives and things that you offer anything like that before we head into the theme sort of rapid fire questions i I don't want you to feel oh i i should have mentioned this or this is a great thing i'd love to pass on
1: one of the nice things about the fact that you're recording this and editing it is that, you know that page, gutsycreatives.com/learning, it gives me time to think about what would really be helpful to the folks that are listening and to just put more and more resources on that page as I possibly can. So, you know, that's the big thing I want to tell your folks is go to that page. I'm going to put on all the value I possibly can. Oh, and so I'm Kelsey on Twitter, K E L S Y E. I have a weird name. Anyone who Asks me to promote something, I do. If someone's got a business or a new song they put out or a book or they made some kind of digital thing they want to share with people, I love sharing other people's stuff. I've got like a hundred and I don't know, 115,000 followers or something. I'm not sure. But if you want me to send something out to my followers, then go to that page and contact me or just DM me on Twitter. Don't DM me on Twitter, actually. I never read those. There's too much junk. But find a way to contact me. I will make sure to promote your work.
0: Well, that's very kind of you. Speaking of DMs on all socials, but Twitter specifically right now is, I think, struggling to figure out what's spam and not. So I miss a lot of messages on there for sure. I miss a lot. Whereas I didn't used to per se. So I certainly can appreciate that. That's really nice of you. That's kind of you. I think that it takes a certain level of character to be willing to share other people's work. A lot of other people feel kind of selfish about the platforms, especially when they've put so much time and energy into creating them. So that's that's really special of you to do that. In terms of the company, you made me think of something else when you said you're going to go put the resources there. Do you have a team of 100? Do you have one Hmm. person that helps you? Are you running this whole show? What does that look like?
1: I do have a team that helps me and it kind of scales up and down, but a core team of seven folks. And some of them are in the US. A lot of them are in Sri Lanka, although my Sri Lankans now also live in Dubai and Pakistan. So I'm like, yeah, our Dubai office. And that's one of the, one of our big things is that we really uh, work to empower and lift folks that might not have access to resources and audience. Otherwise, most of the people I work with in Sri Lanka are women who really their only job career opportunities in Sri Lanka would be to be retail or to be a teacher and make about, you know, $50, $75 a month and have to be beholden to a system that is frankly very oppressive. I love Sri Lanka. It's my other country. My husband is Sri Lankan. I live there a lot of the time, but it's hard for women to have any kind of freedom there. And a big part of it is. Financial. Um, they're so dependent. What's really great is that all these brilliant, untapped resources of people, you know, have been working with me for years. And these are savvy ladies uh, and a couple guys. They've been working with authors now. They do PR, they do web building, they do design, they do all these kinds of things. And I provide the project management and the training. And I provide access to American and European and Australian clients that pay American, European and Australian prices, that in Sri Lanka, it's riches. So I'm very proud of my team. They're very talented and they are brave. And one of my team members, this aside, but I can't, I'm just so excited for her. She is now living on her own, fully supporting herself, fully independent. She's a web developer is how I hired her. But by being able to work with Gutsy Creatives, earn enough money to support herself independently, she also goes to school and is getting a master's in cybersecurity. And she's doing something that so few women in Sri Lanka are able to do. And I'm just so terribly proud of her. So I work with, <laughs> that's my team, a great skilled team. And then there's also people here in America. And we always, uh, I have a great network of specialists when we have special projects. So we just bring in whomever we Need, But it makes us nimble and it makes us affordable so that we can provide authors and anyone who we work with, like a whole team that they probably wouldn't be able to afford here in the U.S. But the prices, we can pay obscene prices in Sri Lanka and still be very affordable in the U.S
0: which is another reason to say good for you in terms of doing that. It's one of my micro goals too. Like I would love to, the reasons why I would prefer to not only be a solopreneur is to do those exact same things you're referencing, whether they're domestic here or um, in other places, similar to how you, you're going about that is something that really excites me uh-huh. for the future. So that's really cool. A few theme questions. Certainly they often tie back to things we talked about, but they're kind of more rapid fire style. And the first one is one piece of advice for the next generation?
1: There is no them, only us.
0: Love it. And then something you yourself are learning that may or may not surprise people.
1: I'm always learning. That's part of my problem. One of the things I am actively studying is how to narrow my focus and avoid overwhelm because everything is amazing but when you are always working on everything you're just not really working on anything so i'm actively and it's hard it's all about practice and reading what other people do and what their advice is but i'm actively trying to limit the things that i'm working on and make sure that the time that i have that is my treasured time takes a priority i'm also relearning how to play violin
0: that's super cool and
1: i'm building A shed office, and I'm trying to figure out how to put a window in it.
0: That's really interesting.
1: (laughs) I really recommend for anyone who does any kind of mental or creative work to also take on a physical hobby. Build things. Something with your hands, workmanship, some or or running, you know, sailing or work on an old boat or something. It's therapy, it's a break from the mental work, and you really need to keep moving your body
0: follow-up question, which is rare, and I apologize. (laughs) But you said that, and then I'm like, we are so often, like, throughout this conversation, the same person. I just reread the one thing because I have so many different things I would love to do. And it's like, well, we can't get them all done. So, what are some things? Because I had written that down, but, you know, we're kind of running out of time as a thing to talk about that idea of focus and organization. Like, because clearly you are somebody who has successfully created so many different things, been a CEO of different businesses, and, you know, like you said, raised funds and these various uh, entrepreneurial ventures and then hobbies, et cetera. Uh, How do you get it all done?
1: I don't, to be quite honest. I mean, that... I will own up to that being one of my my biggest problems um, is too many divergent interests and focus. The the thing that I have done that is helpful, it really does help to visualize where I'm going or where I want to end up. One of my investors was Mae McCarthy, a brilliant woman who's done all kinds of different companies. She got me in the practice of writing down the future as though it already exists. Like, I'm so happy I'm making $15,000 a month, and I'm thrilled that I got, you know, another letter from someone who read my memoir and how much it touched them, and I'm so excited that I got to spend three months traveling with my daughter this year. You know, all those crazy things that you want to be able to do, to write them down as though you're already grateful for them and it's already happening. As a very logic person, I'm very woo-woo sensitive. I hate all that stuff, and when she told me this, it felt very woo-woo. But I got to say, when, I, when I'm actually doing it, it really helps helps me focus my days a lot and that even when I want to relearn how to play violin I also know I've got all this other stuff going on and if I don't get to it I'm not going to feel bad it's going to be like that's just for another day right the other thing that has been incredibly helpful is I'm reading a book called not today except for not is crossed out so I'm a little confused about their title like it's today but it's not today I'm not sure but not today and that has refocused me and given me a lot of practical <laughs> advice for a structuring my days. And Mm -hmm. even though this is things that I have learned a billion times already, really helps to review because you fall out of your habits and you get, you just get distracted. I get distracted. Keep reviewing.
0: Yeah, I think so. The systems and habits. I won't hold open my sheet here because you wouldn't be able to read my writing anyways. But the other thing i had written down is this is just too funny because you just said it was you write them down, but it was future aspirations or goals. Like, where are you going from here?
1: (sighs) So, uh, the big goal that I have is that I would actually love for my team to be able to take over my company, to remove myself from it so that they can access my, I've set up the channel so that people from this world can access people from this world. And I would love to see them create their own wealth and create their own businesses and connect with clients themselves. And then, you know, time that I have spent in the woods is never time that i is wasted. My husband has similar mindset, which is great. I'd really, where I'm going is to get my business to the point where enough of it is automated or run by other people that I could spend half of the year, either in the jungles in Sri Lanka or in the, on the peninsula here in the Pacific Northwest, walking around and staring at the trees And not hustling and not producing, except for when I feel like writing a little poem or a little story or a little watercolor, but not with the goal of a product just for the pure pleasure of being.
0: That's amazing. Well, I wish you all the best of luck with that for sure. And in whatever way I can help small for now and big in the future, please do just let me know because I'd love to see that come true for you. Or I will look forward to seeing that come true for you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Manifestation. Yeah.
1: I'm grateful that I spend six months in the woods each each year.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I look forward to that. It's going to be awesome. And then the last one that I have is flipping the table a little bit and just saying, if you were to ask me a question kind of on these topics, or you think that my posting would help my audience learn something, something that you would ask me a question about.
1: Yeah. So let's go with something kind of interesting. Pizza. (laughs) Looking back, not like maybe five years ago, what do you wish that you had done differently?
0: I mean, I've got a very off the top like financial one. I missed an opportunity with the housing market around here to get into a rental property, which would have created a lot of opportunity for me to leverage that and our current housing situation to be able to be a lot more entrepreneurially minded and Uh follow my creative pursuits. And at the time I had the capital to do that. And looking back on it, I feel a little bit like, ah, darn. I also passed up on investing in Shopify and then subsequently getting into Bitcoin or Ethereum early. So there's those three kind of like financial things that would have allowed me to be a lot more free with my finances right now. But I think I would have started this podcast sooner. Maybe that's a a more no matter what Financially speaking or whatever, it's something that I always thought of doing when I first saw early uh, educational YouTubers or when Khan Academy first started, people who did like uh, science videos on YouTube or created different things. I always thought that learning through audio would not necessarily be better than YouTube, but would be more accessible. And this connects to the jail. Our kids can't use the Internet. It's pretty hard for them to watch a YouTube video, obviously. However, they're all out MP3 players because they're not connected, right? So the files are also a lot smaller, so they can listen through audio. Mm. Similarly, you know, you don't need as good of an internet connection to download a little MP3 versus being able to watch a YouTube video. So I've always felt that audio learning was something to be ahead of, you know, and then it wasn't until you see Joe Rogan succeed and all of these big shows really take off where you're like, man, that's what I wanted to do five years ago and just never did it until very recently, so I guess Mm -hmm. better late than never, but I would have started this show five years ago,
1: yeah. What podcast are you addicted to right now?
0: That's a fun question too. And the answer is none, because (laughs) one of the things that I've had to learn with respect to figuring out the balance of creating versus consuming, Mm -hmm. and that's part of what happened five years ago. All I would do is listen to podcasts. Mm -hmm. Early days, people who inspired me and taught me things was, and I've heard him open up about the title and be like, I never would have named it that if I knew it was going to be so successful. But it's called The Art of Manliness.
1: Oh, yeah. I love the art.
0: Yeah. So you're familiar?
1: <laughs> I love the art of manliness, right? So, like, super love it.
0: Yeah, and so it's funny because when you say that title off the cuff, though, people are like, "Oh, it sounds, you know it's going to be cars and like you know a bunch right. of BS uh, stereotypes about being a man."
1: No. It's how to be a person.
0: Yeah, it's so good. It's such a great show. And and it was right from the when that show was starting, right? And Serial and these big time shows early on that I was into podcasting and was always being like, I can do this too. Yeah, Smart Passive Income was a big one, right? SPI with uh, Pat Flynn. Mm -hmm. And then I very, uh, TED Radio Hour with Guy Raz and then How I Built This with Guy Raz. So those shows were where I kind of like started listening. But to be honest, since I started creating this show, I haven't listened to a podcast (laughs)
1: That's hilarious. You know, I help my clients with marketing and then I often tell them, please don't look at my business though, because it's like we always work on things for other people and then don't do it for ourselves. So yeah, you got to sometimes choose.
0: The other thing that happened is I finally made the leap from text, break reading books. Uh, I still read uh-huh. daily, but a lot less than I used to because I used to get caught like having to finish an entire book before I went to create. Whereas with Audible, oh. especially because I'm so used to editing audio, now. 2X sounds normal to me. And so I do listen to Audible books. Uh So I still... It's the same kind of podcast sort of like lifestyle that I have listening, learning through audio. Yep. But they're always structured, right? Right. Like I have like six downloaded that I haven't even listened to yet. That's kind of where instead of podcasts per se, I've shifted a bit to listening to people's books when they put them out.
1: Well, this was great and I've really enjoyed it. And, you know, just like I said to go to gutsycreatives.com slash learning, I'll put as many awesome things on there as I can think of and contact me on Twitter. I can promote your stuff. But one of the things that you can anyone listening can do for themselves and for the other people that they admire is write a review. And, you know, reviews are super valuable. Write a review for this podcast. Go write a review for the book you love. Go write, uh, you know, a review for an album that you love. As a creator, it's so hard to ask for it. So give reviews frequently. Pretend you are rich and that reviews are, you know, those dollars that you're just sliding out because you really are adding so much value to someone else's project giving them so much visibility and authority so everyone listening you know review this podcast (laughs) and then go you know an artist that you admire go give them a good review on some kind of platform and you will have made the world a better place
0: very thoughtful of you and tremendous mic drop moment <laughs> my last question is always where and why people can find you online I think you've done a tremendous job of sharing that already but if there's anything <laughs> else that you'd like to add yeah and that's a good thing that's a that's a big time compliment because that's overcoming that that I like to consider the necessary evil of self promotion because you know that you're going to bring value and meaning to people cannot be understated and this episode has been tremendous for that but yeah where and why can people find you online
1: I want you all to feel comfortable telling people to go look at your I was going to swear I'm trying not to go look at your stuff so you can find me at gutsycreatives.com learning or just at Kelsey on Twitter but ask ask for people to go to your website you need us there and we need you too
0: thank you so much really appreciate this it's been awesome
1: all right thanks Justin
0: thank you jkl community thank you so much for being here it's hard to get all these stories to spread so please do share with others and if you have a request for a guest too it's been a lot of fun hearing who you think should come on the show so please do let us know Thank you to our guest, Kelsey, such a generous and intelligent leader in the world of entrepreneurship. Be sure to check out her work at Gutsy Creatives. It's our goal to have this show help millions of people. So please do subscribe, leave reviews, but most importantly, pass it on to someone who you think could learn from it. Until the next episode, all the best. And remember, just keep learning. You're one step closer to making your big dreams come true, but there's plenty more where that came from. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you know anyone who might love the show, send them a link. We'll see you next time on Just Keep Learning with Justin at Just Tries.